what should be the starting point for a zero trust uh, security center for a cost sensitive organization how should they approach tackling these challenges like organizations uh, how should they protect access to the data when it comes to identity MFA is one of the critical component what is your recommendation to organizations who are trying to set it up properly in the previous episode with wins we discussed about zero trust importance of understanding the current architecture identity's role in zero trust mfa and more in this episode we'll be covering few more areas so with that let's get started with the part 2 of the episode so uh, i want to sort of uh, move to a little bit of planning of zero trust right so when setting up uh, security programs uh, in an organization it is often difficult right and when you throw in zero trust into the mix it becomes even more challenging so what are the challenges you have seen in organizations to set up a secure like robust security program uh, and how did you overcome them well i would i would say that the very first thing again was was getting to the point of understanding what was there um mm-hmm. in in the previous life I came into an entity that really had no formal security program but they were a large enough entity that they were doing a billion dollars a year in revenue. Wow. And and so that's an interesting dichotomy. You've got a lot mm-hmm. of revenue, you haven't been pwned yet. Nobody's actually completely pwned you. You've had some infractions <laughs> of things but uh you know, a very interesting circumstance. Well, the first thing we did was understand what could we apply today? What existed in the ecosystem that we could apply today? Mm-hmm. We did that. whatever was available we turned it on we configured it and we got it operationalized then the next step was to do a gap analysis right where are we missing for this now in with 80207 in place if you're looking at that zero trust model i don't think the complexity is necessarily as as heavy as people think it is because if you look at that model and you appropriately appropriately analyze the tooling So you look at vendors that have tooling that that fits with this, you can find ways to implement zero trust in a fairly non-complex way by picking correct vendors that fit within your ecosystem and match your technology stack well and uh and and there may be some refactoring of your tech stack. You know, mm-hmm. again, you come into an organization, you find out the entire network is flat. Well, that okay, we've got to start there you know, mm-hmm. because we can't implement zero trust uh, deperimeterization when we only have one perimeter. So, right. Right. Uh that makes a lot of sense. And as part of this, there are many areas also, right? When you go into the implementation of let's say zero trust or defining a security program, uh you have app security, infra security, network security, compliance, etc., etc., many areas. And in each of these areas there are many vendor tools as well right so when it comes to having a holistic view of your organization security posture what metrics are the most important uh, to look at and how do you set it up accurately so to restate that from a security architecture perspective what's the kind of most important thing to line up first mhm well and how do you I, set it up Well. Yeah, I I think when anyone is evaluating their security architecture, we have to back up to their technical architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh because security architecture really is a uh it's dependent on what you're applying it to. So, 
looking at your technical architecture, what is the environment that you're actually functioning? Are you an on-prem data center centric model with a, uh, you know, just a, a, a network that's tied into that data center? It's very straightforward. Then from a, from a security architecture perspective, we understand what we're dealing with. Um, whereas if we're a multi-cloud hybrid environment with some on-prem multinational clouds across a global enterprise, now the security architecture gets more complicated merely because we have differing tech stacks throughout an ecosystem that is part of the enterprise. Um, right. So again, evaluating that part, once you have that, uh, I, I have always felt that as, as uh, perhaps arduous as it is, the CIS top 18 now used to be the top 20, but the CIS top 20 or top 18 give you a very good structure. If you start at one and then move to two and three and four and five, you are able to constrain uh, around the most risky environments. If you don't know what you have, you're at great risk because you don't even know what to protect. Hence, CIS one and two are all about what you have. Uh, mm -hmm. Moving on through that stack, you start to get a little more granular about your, your ability to control things. So I have always used that to help build architecture around a given tech stack. Because as I go up through that CIS top 18, I can identify what does apply because I actually have that kind of tech stack and what doesn't. Okay, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And this also touches on uh, your initial like answer to the first question, right? Inventory is the key. Like you have to understand what inventory you have before acting, acting, on, acting on it, right? Um, right, and I find even small organizations are challenged with that mm -hmm. because yeah. From an organizational standpoint, you have a business idea and you're a business leader and you get out and you start building this business. The IT componentry is just dragged along as a necessary part of supporting that business. And so nobody thinks to actually define that and say, we've got to start an inventory process that's sustainable throughout the life cycle of our business. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's something that yet most people haven't started it. That's great. Start it now. That becomes your foundation. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So now, uh, let's say you define a security program and you are implementing that security program. Um, sometimes we take shortcuts or we uh, sort of push a couple of things into the backlog in a way, right? So that your business growth is not uh, affected at all while implementing the security program. This is very similar to like tech debt or product debt, right? Mm -hmm. Which is if not addressed properly, could affect the overall productivity, performance, and many areas of the organization. So what are your thoughts on like debt in the security space, like security debt? And how do you define it? And how, like, what should be, what measures we should be uh, taken to address it as well? I think one of the most important elements of tech debt, security debt, any, you know, of that environment, and in reality, security debt is nothing more than tech debt that's applied to security. But it's explaining to, in a language that's understandable, uh, the risk associated with that tech debt to leadership. Because leadership has to make a decision on resources. They have to decide, are my resources going to be used to make more money or to reduce risk? Right. And those are really their two decision points. Mm -hmm. Because if you make more money, it's build stuff that makes money. And if it's reduce risk, it's take that 
resource away and put it over here and reduce risk. So uh, I think there's a every discussion from a security practitioner standpoint to the C staff, to an executive committee, to a board is all about balancing business with risk and not coming in with your hair on fire about, uh, you know, the, the sky is falling and we're going to get pwned tomorrow and it's all going to be terrible, but coming in with a realistic uh, method of describing the real risk associated with the tech debt. Mm -hmm. And some of that tech debt, obviously, on the, say, the IT infrastructure side has both security and stability problems because we build enough tech debt on our, our infrastructure, our applications become unstable. Um, mm -hmm. If we have old enough code in our applications, they become unstable. Uh, and then with that, unstable applications and unstable infrastructure provide entry points for uh, you know, vulnerabilities in the cybersecurity side. Mm -hmm. so, so balance that, is the key. Balance and the and key communicating side. that balance to the executive team so they can make a decision on putting resources to reduce that tech debt. On the flip to that is selling the idea to your executive team, and it's hard, but selling the idea to your executive team, that slow is fast. <laughs> okay? When you're building a new business model to, to make money, some new features, some new application, whatever. There's always this tendency from executive leadership to say, here's the date. This is when we're going live. Thanks. And I get Thanks. that. And that's an important thing to do. But I think the, the counter to that is, have we analyzed this product enough, even in an agile development environment, to understand what security we need to do from the beginning? So this early stage threat modeling of anything, early stage threat modeling around an application, around a feature, around a new infrastructure setup, uh, move to the cloud, any of those things, start your threat modeling on the far left and, and do it immediately and communicate that to the executive team. So as they're formulating that business plan and rollout, they understand what risk has to be mitigated up front mm -hmm. properly so that you don't end up with that tech debt or that security debt we just talked about. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And you touched upon executive communication, right? Uh, communication to the executives and getting their buy-in or making them understand so that they can take the informed decision between business growth and your uh, sec uh, improving the security, right? So right. what type of metrics do you use to report to your leadership or CEO? Uh, and how do you show your, let's say, overall security posture, and how are you planning to improve in future? So first off, all, or all executive teams are not created equal. Uh, they all speak different languages. They all come from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, fundamentally, it's, in, it's incumbent on the security leadership to try to understand what communication methods work best with the CEO, the CFO, the CTO, the group that they are working hand in hand with to uh, protect the business. Uh, some people are fine just understanding that there is a risk, it represents a significant uh, uh, vulnerability, go fix it. They, they want that, fix. they're willing to do it. Others wanna understand down to a very uh, molecular level, if this risk were to occur, or if the realization of this risk were to occur, mm -hmm. what would the financial impact be and then you balance that against, well, what's the financial impact of moving the release date of our product out 60 days to compensate for that? 
some leadership wants that level of detail. Mm -hmm. So learn, learn the level of detail that they want and build your metrics to that detail. You know, it's, it's one thing to go in and say, well, the SIM captured that we had, uh, you know, uh, 10,000 events and of the 10,000 events, 800 were critical and we blocked all of them. Yay us. That doesn't really tell a story other than what the SIM happened to observe in that time frame. Um, putting that in context of the overall enterprise and saying that of those critical, uh, you know, vulnerabilities that someone was trying to attack us on, we actually have 10 of those. Mm -hmm. And the SIM observed it and our defenses blocked it, but we still have the vulnerabilities. Now the conversation can have or can happen with the executive team. Should we spend the money to go fix those vulnerabilities because we know somebody is aware of them and right. they're trying to get in with that attack? That contextualizes the numbers for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a real key element in, in communicating to executive staff is contextualizing our security metrics that we love and adore as we get into our, our professions, but we don't necessarily understand what those mean to, a, to an executive leader. Right. So tailored messaging with the right context adds a lot of value when you are sort of communicating yeah, with the it's, executive. It's, it's imperative to do that because otherwise you're just that voice, uh, you know, screaming, the sky is falling. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So um, you have worked with many organizations, right? And you advise a ton of organizations on security as well. So according to you, it's security like a bottom-up approach or uh, it should be a top-down approach? Can you give some examples uh, uh, around it? Sure. Uh, first off, I'll say unequivocally, it's a top-down approach. There's, It is an incredibly hard fight to mm -hmm. push uphill from a security practitioner's perspective. If you're fighting a insecure mentality at the top, mm -hmm. uh, gaining resources, uh, being able to spend money on tooling, being able to take resources from, again, that make money side and move it over to the reduce risk side. If that part of the entity is not supportive of that, it's an uphill battle. And, you know, honestly, uh, you know, if you're out looking for a job in security, interview the company you're working or you're, you're interviewing with to find out what their attitude is as much <laughs> as you can, because that will tell you how much of a fight you're going to have every day of your, your working life. Um, if it's a bottom up, the only successful method I've seen, and I have seen this work, I've had personal experience with it, uh, is bottom-up means starting to provide uh, a consensus among a influential group of people in the organization. Hmm. So you start to befriend people and understand their come from and what their responsibilities are in the organization. Uh, and so maybe you talk to the lead developer for one of the key features of the, the application that's in that business, and you start talking security with them and you bring them in and you show them some great YouTubes about, you know, how to how to use a, uh, a good uh, CSRF vulnerability to hack a website and then talk about the fact that we have those, um, you know, bringing that consensus into where you have a large enough base of consensus, you can move to the next tier, which mm -hmm. is maybe the VP of application development and talk to that person and bring them in and little by little grow that consensus of desire for a secure infrastructure to where you're having these same conversations with the executive team. But the mm -hmm. problem there is you've still got to understand what that executive team's language is, you know, and, right. and I'll be honest, you know, most of the time it's money. It's, mm -hmm. it's how are we making money as a business? Because that's what keeps us employed. 
And we're certainly not going to take the money away from there and put it over to risk management if it means we don't we don't have a business. So right. it's, it's grow consensus from the bottom up if that's the position you're in. But the most important position is to get leadership into a position where they are championing your security and privacy fight. Right. So uh, if I understand correctly, top down uh, is a lit, uh, relatively easier to implement security versus bottoms up where bottom up where you need uh, influencers who are very uh, keen on Im improving the security overall and then you go up the stack right and you go to the executives at the end and you get their buy no makes a lot of sense um, yeah thank you so much for sharing these insights uh, i personally learned a lot about zero trust and setting up the security program here are the top 3 things i learned today to implement zero trust as part of the security program Understand the current architecture first and then introduce zero trust into each layer one by one. Follow the NIST 800-207 guidelines closely. The second one is security debt is nothing but tech debt for security. Have clear communication with leadership team to find a balance between business growth and reducing the risk. The third one is when working with executives, Always tailor your message and add context to sort of show the risk and challenges in your current security infrastructure. Uh, here are a few questions uh, I would like to ask before we end. A one-liner quote that keeps you going. Do a little better each day. Oh, I love that a lot. <laughs> You don't have to do a lot better, just a little better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there is a book from uh, Atomic Habits, right? Atomic Habits mm -hmm. talks about 1% growth every day. So that makes a lot of growth. sense. Yeah. Assuming you are hiring, in one sentence, what stands out in a candidate's resume for you? One word? <laughs> yeah, uh, one sentence is fine. Oh, one sentence I can do. Uh, mm -hmm. The ability and desire to always learn. Learner's mentality. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, in this industry, uh, unless you have a couple of books you're reading and uh, a couple of courses you're taking, you're falling behind. And even then, mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up. But, you know, you, you can stay relevant if you're always reading and always studying and taking courses. Mm -hmm. so uh, if I'm hiring somebody, I want them to have that same attitude. Right, right. On the same lines, how do you stay up to date uh, to current events or new threats that are happening in the security landscape? Um, I have a number of things I subscribe to, you know, IAN, SANS, uh, CISA, you know, just uh, all of the feeds just to understand and contextualize attack patterns, what's happening out there. Uh, and then I try to entertain most of the vendors that I get hit with that are trying to sell me a product, you know, they need to get that appointment. I know how the sales process works. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to take those appointments because I want to understand their approach. I do ask them when I get those appointments to give me the tech guy. I don't want, you know, I don't want to get their sales. Pitch. I want to understand what their technology does because mm -hmm. by understanding what that technology does as an architect, that's one more potential tool in the quiver but it's also understanding how the industry is adapting to what I'm learning from IANs and SANs and CISA and you know all of the threat feeds. Makes sense. 
So thank you, Vince. Uh, it was very helpful. Uh, there was there were many nuggets of wisdom uh, to learn for me and for the viewers as well. Looking forward to learn more from you in future. Great, thank you, Peru. Appreciate the time. Uh, absolutely. And to our viewers, thanks for watching. Uh, hope you learned something new. Uh, if you have any questions around security, share those at scale2zero.com. We'll get those answered by an expert in the security space. See you in the next episode. Thank you.